If you've been at this church for any amount of time, you've heard me talk uh, about an individual who is, was one of my dearest friends and a mentor of mine named Steve Hayner. Steve was someone who impacted my life uh, in a whole lot of different ways that's hard to put into words. But while we got to be friends for many, many years, um, we had a unique opportunity that you don't often get with one of your best friends and mentors, and that we had a brief period of time where we actually worked together. Uh, in the same organization. Now, uh, Steve was the one paid, and I wasn't, but that was okay. Uh, it was for the seminary where Beth and I both attended in Atlanta, Columbia Theological Seminary. Uh, I was on the board of trustees there and had been on the board for a couple of years, and then Steve was appointed the president. And so while we, it's, it's a cool thing to get to, to vote on the president. It's like, hey, you probably need to do this or I could spill the beans about you uh, before we vote yes. So. Um, but we had a, uh, I had an amazing time learning from him and with him in that setting. But one of my favorite Steve Hayner stories when we were at Columbia Seminary together took place on a very important night in the life of the seminary. We were uh, opening a new building. It was and still in many ways is kind of the centerpiece of the campus. Uh, it was a, uh, kind of a high-tech building that it had been years in the planning, fundraising for multi-millions of dollars and it was opening, and the opening took place at an event one night. And at this event, it was, uh, the, the faculty was there, um, uh, the board of trustees were there, the staff was there, and a lot of the major donors. So these are people that have given like a million dollars plus to building this building. And we had this sort of like nice dinner, and then we had these tours where we went through the building and we got to see it and all the technology that was there and how it was gonna work. And they had people, you know, displaying stuff. And at the very end, we gathered and had these kind of informal question and answer time with Steve before the, in, the evening ended. And everybody was excited about the building, which made sense, right? They were excited about how it was gonna be used. They were excited about the technology. They kept asking about the technology. And the next question was about the technology. And the next question was about the technology and how excited they were about the technology. And then in the middle of this question, when another one came up asking about the technology, Steve, again, in front of people who have given a million plus dollars for building this, it's understandable they're excited about the technology. Steve stops and says, you know, we don't wanna to get too excited about the technology <laughs> or the building. We don't wanna to get too excited about the wrong things. Like this building's great. It is, it's great, but it's temporal. It's all gonna burn in the end. People have given a million dollars plus, we're just told it's all gonna burn in the end. I remember sitting there looking at him going, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that. I wasn't alone in that. The only movement in the room was the development officers, the fundraisers who were in the back room going, like, don't say that. You cannot say that in this setting. But Steve didn't stop. He went on and he said, you know, I mean, the, the fact is a, a building's a building. It's great. The building's gonna be here one day, it's gonna be gone the next. The technology the day is cutting edge in a couple of years, it's gonna be obsolete. Let's not get too excited about the temporal things, he said. What we need to be excited about are the eternal things that are gonna be taking place within the walls. That this technology is gonna allow us to train up a generation of pastors who are gonna go out and proclaim the gospel. 
that is going to train up leaders and form community. They're going to stand for the things of the kingdom in this broken world. And it's going to allow us to do that in ways we've never thought of before. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not get too excited about the temporal. Because no matter how that great that is, what should really excite us are the eternal things that will be produced within the walls of this building. It was a risk that he took in saying that in this setting. But slowly, except for the development people, who were always like, they, they, even afterwards they were like, that was terrible, that was a bad idea. But you could see the donors starting to nod their heads. And in fact, one person I talked to afterwards said, our family's given to a lot of buildings around the city. That was the first time at an opening I was reminded of why we give. Because when you give to the things of the kingdom, and you keep your eye on the eternal things, it creates perspective for everything else, doesn't it? I want you to keep that in mind as we read our scripture passage for today. Because this is one of the more challenging passages of scripture that we've looked at in a long time. It's our lectionary text for today, so it's part of our series. It's from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It's probably, if you look in your Bible, it's titled The Parable of the Dishonest Manager, which makes you really want to read it. Verse 1, then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a ma manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God, I think. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today, that we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just name from the beginning. This is like a really complicated and disorienting passage. In fact, it's so much so that a few weeks ago, uh, we had looked ahead at what was going to be coming up in the lectionary, and I had read about the parable of the dishonest manager, and I looked at the worship planning team and was like, I don't know what the Old Testament passage is, but I'm not preaching on that. 
So just like look at whatever the Old Testament passage is, and that'll probably be what they do. And then I looked ahead at the Old Testament passage, which was from Jeremiah, who was having a very, very, very bad day when he wrote the Old Testament passage today, the first words of which is, my joy has disappeared. And then it gets worse after that. And so I turned around, I was like, well, we're looking at the parable of the dishonest manager. That's the, that's the best choice before us today is this one. But it is disorienting because Jesus is commending somebody who acts dishonestly, who acts immorally. And don't worry, this isn't one of those things where I'm like, if you go back to the Greek, it's not really what's happening. No, that's what's happening. This person tries to immorally change debt owned to a property owner, and Jesus goes, you guys should be like him. So what's going on in this? Well, first and foremost, and I invite you to do this in the days ahead, if you go back and read it very carefully, Jesus is not saying, go lie. He's not saying, go steal. What he commends, if you look specifically at verse 8, is he commends the mindset of the manager who makes decisions because he's about to be fired. He starts making decisions preparing for the future. And it's that, when you really look at it, is what Jesus is saying, you wanna be like that. Now, it's important to say, so why does he dress it up in this way where you're like, are you telling us to be dishonest? Is that what this is? And what most scholars think is, is that Jesus was doing this deliberately. Here in Luke 16, he's been teaching the disciples for a couple of years. They probably have gotten used to what he said. They probably kind of anticipated. Apparently, if you listen to the same teacher for a long time, you start tuning them out because they keep saying, I know none of y'all would do that, but you start saying the same things over and over again. You're like, yeah, 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 we got it. Life on life discipleship, I got it, right? And so, and so what, the, what people can do, what communicators can do, what writers can do, is they can deliberately be provocative to sort of shock you to make you pay attention again, to like jolt you. And I think when we read this, we can kind of go, did Jesus just say that? And I think his disciples, when they first heard it 2,000 years ago, kind of like looked up and were like, did you just say that? Did you just tell us to be like the dishonest manager? But it causes you to sort of wake up and pay attention to hear a point. Think about it this way. Steve Ayner, at the dedication of this building, could have just said, guys, we're talking a lot about the technology. Let's just focus on the mission inside rather than just getting caught up with the technology and made the same point and we would all just nodded our heads and moved on and forgotten about it. But he was deliberately provocative by saying, it's all going to burn in the end anyway. And you're going, and the development people were going, and the donors, they were going, it's like, did he just say that? But then he used it to wake us up and make a point that 15 years later, I still remember that. It's a deliberate thing Jesus says, seems to be doing here with his disciples to say, pay attention. But he's not commending dishonesty. He's not commending immorality. But he's commending the manager who makes a decision because of what's about to happen. I'm about to be fired. I better start preparing for that now. What Jesus is lifting up here for all disciples, for each one of us, is saying that there is something that is important about making decisions based on a promised future. I want to say that again because this is, I think, the heart of what this parable, this very difficult parable is about, is he commends the manager for making decisions upon a certain future, making present-day decisions based on a promised future. That's different from how human beings act. 
Most human beings, for example, if you ask them, it's like, well, I'm like preparing, I'm saving for college, and I'm preparing, I'm saving for retirement. I know that that's the future. But if we're going to go on vacation and we could really, do we have to save all of that? We could just use it over here today and have an even better vacation. And let's do that instead. Human beings have a hard time making decisions based on a promised future. Ask any politician. <laughs> Seriously. You can't win in politics if you say, guys, we have to sacrifice now for a promised future. You're not going to get elected. There are a lot of people that will look at you and go, we need to take care of the national debt. But no one who's in office for very long is going, so here are all the sacrifices we have to make in the here and now to get that under control. Those people, they don't, we don't vote for them. We vote for the person who's like, I can make life great now, and someday we'll take care of the debt. Eight years from now, it'll be that it never occurs, right? Human beings don't, we have a hard time individually and corporately making decisions about what a promised future is. We make decisions based on the here and now. We have a hard time with delayed gratification. What Jesus is saying and lifting up is this manager makes decisions based on a promised future. And that that is a mindset you and I are supposed to have. Now, when we talk about this, what's the mindset he wants his disciples? What's the promised future? The promised future is very clear in the scriptures. It's very clear, and it needs to be very clear to us. It is the kingdom to come. That we are a faith that declares that we know in the midst of the ups and downs and the difficulties of this world, we know where the story is headed. We know where things are going to wind up. We know how the story ends. That we are a people who believe that we will enter into all eternity when we gather in the new Jerusalem where we will be face to face with God. It's not a mystery. We're not going to be bouncing around on clouds forever. That we will be looking into the face of our creator. It says that our creator will look into our eyes and that we will be filled with a worth that our souls will know their worth and we will lose track of time and space. It says that in that moment, we'll be gathered together as one common humanity, people from every tribe and every tongue gathered together, that there will be justice that will roll down like waters, that there will be peace for the nations. And Jesus is saying that that kingdom, that kingdom to come is, is sure, it is certain. You know how the story ends. And so what would it mean to start making decisions in the here and now based on that certain future? To be a kingdom builder in the here and now, not waiting for someday. We proclaim this kingdom in church every time we gather. And it's so normal, if you've been here for a while, it may just sound typical. But take, for example, in our two sacraments. Our two sacraments are baptism and communion. In both of those sacraments, core part of it is declaring this certain future. What do we say in baptism? We had three children who were baptized last Sunday in this service. And the growth of our church, we've had a lot of baptisms. So these are words you've heard before. But we all say, and it's a liturgy that's been passed down from hundreds of years ago. That in baptism, what we believe is that Jesus came into the world to teach us what love and life can look like. That he died on a cross, and people thought that the story was over. But on the third day, he rose again to show us that love and life will always triumph over hatred and death. Think about that for a second. Think about those words that we say with every baptism. That baptism is a declaration of a certain future where love and life will triumph over hatred and death. 
That a baptized person can start living in a way of knowing that, that death in this world is just the beginning of life being swallowed up by greater life. And we can live with that hope now. That love is a more powerful force in this world than hatred and division. And we can start living that way now. A promised future can dictate how we live today. You see that? Well, what about in communion at this table? At this table, every time we take this, we declare what the future will look like, what the kingdom to come is like. Again, these are words that you hear every time we celebrate the sacrament. Whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again, and come again he shall to make all things new. This is a declaration, the words you might have heard so many times you don't even pay attention anymore. But it's declaring this future. It's saying that this is certain, this future reality. And when we feast here, we're reminded that we're to live as those kingdom people now. We are to live and make decisions based on a certain future. That's what the, the, the manager does. And that is what is commended. All right, the last thing that we got to look at in this, because you can't talk about this parable without it, is that when he doesn't just say, so make decisions based on a promised future, but he's very specific about with what. And he says that what you need to think about from this manager is that you need to think about how a promised future of the kingdom determines decisions you make today about your money, your wealth, your finances, no matter who you are. Now I know, I know, I know none of you woke up today going, oh, I hope we talk about money in church. Oh, this is my favorite thing. When we just don't talk about money enough when we're in church. But I want to just say from the beginning, I'm not about to ask you for anything. There's no pledge cards going out. There's no like, so just, it's just lower the defenses, okay? <laughs> and let's just listen to what Jesus is saying. Is what does it mean to make financial decisions based on a future reality about this kingdom? And so in total freedom, it's worth asking the question. When you spend money, how much of your mind is on what the things of the kingdom are about? It's worth thinking about. This parable demands we think about that. When we set our budget at the beginning of the year, how much of our budget has our eyes on the things of the kingdom and letting that inform how we build our budgets for the year ahead? This parable demands we sit in that question. Because Jesus is saying that following me involves making present-day decisions based on the kingdom when it comes to your money. And so I invite you to think about those things this week. And it's important and it's appropriate that we think about that because while nothing is being passed out today, and I promise you nothing's being passed out today, we are less than a month away from Pledge Sunday. And this is what we ask you to do. We ask you to consider how you can pledge to this church based on the idea of the kingdom and how the uniqueness of giving to the kingdom informs the decisions you make. It's not just a financial decision, it's a spiritual decision. What I get really excited about is that it's not just a question that you have to ask, but we as a church have to ask it. I love, and this makes me very odd, but I love building a budget for a church because it's an, inherently set, it's an inherent set of spiritual questions you have to ask. Do we say we're about the kingdom or are we just busy with church work for the insiders? That's a question that our staff in our session have to wrestle with. And it's not a financial question. It's a spiritual question. 
How do we think about this property? Is this part property part of how we think of what it means to be a love letter from God to the city of Austin? Or it'd be a lot more cheap, it'd be a lot more manageable if we just protected it for us on Sundays. To make those kinds of decisions with our money are inherently spiritual questions. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to your money, have your eyes fixed on the end game. Are you representing the kingdom or are you busy with doing church work? And that's an important question for us all to sit in, for the leadership of this church to sit in. The last thing I wanted to share is that when we think about this, and again, I know that none of us were thinking about hoping we were talking about money today, but I want to end by inviting us to think about this with a certain mindset when we think about what it means to make financial decisions based on the kingdom to come. And that is that I think the church has taught this wrong for a long time. I think the church has really gotten it wrong how we talk about money. And I think what the church, churches often do is we do one of two things. We, on the one hand, will say, it's like, guys, I'm so sorry we have to talk about this. We've got to pay the electricity bills. The staff have to eat, which they do. That's important. <laughs> Cost of living in Austin's going up, which it is. That's important. So I'm just sorry. We've got to do this for a few weeks, and then we'll get back to stuff. And that's wrong. On the other hand, churches can talk about this from a very legalistic, you know, it's like, these are the rules. This is what you're supposed to do. God is watching you as you fill this out. I went to a church one time where they took up the offering, and then the people, count, the, the deacons counted it and decided it wasn't enough. And so we had to stand up and do it again. <laughs> which we might try. <laughs> it's like, God's watching, you weren't generous. Come on, everybody again, we're passing the plates. Michael, hit the organ, like, let's go. <laughs> but the way that we should be thinking about this is that when we live with a kingdom mindset to our finances, there is a joy that can be found there that cannot be found in any other way. There is a joy and a purpose as we impact this world that we receive when we give. Recently, I was able to attend and be a part of a memorial service that had a huge impact on me because of a conversation I had after that service. It was a service for someone that we're gonna, for, this, for our purpose today, called Jim. Jim had lived a, a long life. Uh, he had um, been married for decades, had children and grandchildren, had a, had a, a good career, had been an active uh, leader in the church, and after a long illness had gone under hospice care and passed away. Service was a beautiful service, but afterwards at the reception I was able to meet a number of people that uh, I didn't know who weren't part of uh, that church, and, um, and I had a chance to talk to this one younger guy who was there, who was just standing with tears in his eyes. And as I went up and talked to him, I said, how did you know Jim? And through his emotions, he said, I got to know Jim when I was a high school student. He said, when he retired, he became a mentor and tutor at my high school as a volunteer. And he was assigned to me. He said, my family were first generation immigrants here and we were just trying to get by day to day in this new country and so while I was going to school I was also having to work to help support our family and times were difficult 
But as Jim tutored me and as I got to know him, he started talking to me about my life and started giving me encouragement as to what I could think about in terms uh, of maybe thinking about college. And I didn't know how that was possible, but he got information on a junior college in the area. And he said, you, you could apply to this and just see. And I applied to it and I got in. But a week before classes were supposed to start, the one car that we had in our family that I was going to use to both go to school and to work broke down and died. And so we had to use the bus. And using the bus meant I couldn't have time to do both. It's too inefficient. And it wasn't a choice. Was I going to work or go to school? That wasn't an option. So I sold the school. I couldn't come anymore, and I was going to work. And I let Jim know that. And a couple of days later, as I left my apartment, Jim was in the parking lot with a used car that he had given over in my name. He said, I looked at Jim and said, I cannot take this. I cannot accept this. I, it will indebt me in a way that I, and Jim said, this is freely given to you. Just do with it whatever you want to do. But he said, I was able to re-enroll in school and work. And after graduating from junior college, I was able to enroll in a four-year college. And I graduated from there eventually. And then I was able to go and get my uh, JD. And, I'm, uh, and he is now an attorney. He said, over the years... Not only am I an attorney, I'm an elder in a church. I'm a father of three. And life's just gotten busy. And Jim, who I always thought about, we had lost touch. Until he pulled a letter out of his jacket pocket. And he said, until I got this letter from him three weeks ago. And in this letter, he let me know that he was ill. And he let me know that as he was under hospice care, he had been thinking about his life and the blessings that he had in his life. And he talked about the blessings of his work. He talked about the blessings of his spouse. He talked about the blessing of his children and his grandchildren. But in the letter, he said, but what I want you to know as I reflect in my life, if you have been one of the great blessings to me as well, as I see the way you live your life, as I see the faith that you have, as I see the way you love your community, as I see your family, I want you to know that you have brought joy to my life. That I am praying for you. That I am proud of you. That I love you. And this man, sitting there with tears in his eyes, said he wrote me to thank me for how his life was better off. And I had to be here today. When we live and make financial decisions based upon what the kingdom says life would be, when we commit ourselves to being kingdom builders, we can uniquely impact this world, but what we also can do is to receive a joy that comes from living as kingdom people, a purpose that comes from living for something far beyond just yourself. May this be our story. May this be our song as we move forward in the days to come. Amen. amen. And amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would lead us and guide us as to how we might be kingdom people in the decisions that we make today. Lead and guide us all in the name of Jesus. Amen.